Hey ya girlies, it's me, Devlin Camp. This is a special queer serial announcement coming to you from the future, 2023. You're listening to an episode from the past, during which you might hear me plug some bonus content, especially in the credits. But as of 2023, here's everything you need to know if you want more queer serial, or if you want to support my many ongoing LGBTQ history projects. I got a lot going on. You can sign up for periodic email updates at the link for everything in the episode notes. First off, you can now listen to my entire backlog of Queer Serial bonus episodes on Apple Podcasts, just like you listen to the regular episodes. Just head to the Queer Serial show page on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to additional bonus episodes for $2.99 a month. Those episodes are everything from my Patreon, minus the visual stuff, but all of the bonus episodes. It includes all of the spin-off episodes, Forgotten Fairy Tales, the White Knight Riots interviews, all of my Mattachine meeting interviews, Randy Wicker Radio, etc., 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 every episode of everything I've ever made. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for $2.99 a month, or still for $3 a month on Patreon if you want the bonus episodes and all of my visual research and my archive dives included, and behind the scenes of my Randy Wicker documentary. Also, If you're a Spotify kind of girl like me, you can also get all of my bonus episodes through Spotify now too. Just go to the podcast section and search Queer Serial Bonus Shows and there's a whole feed of Queer Serial Bonus Shows. And if you wanna get some gay merch while also supporting my queer history projects, check out the new Queer Serial Etsy shop. Etsy.com slash shop slash queer history uplift. There's a link in the episode notes here. I've got podcast merch from throughout the series and also lots of queer history related items like postcards from Mona's 1930s lesbian bar and Marsha P. Johnson stickers with her own handwriting that says gay love always straight from the Wicker and Johnson archive that I've been working on. And I've got gorgeous mugs that say queer history is world history. Other stickers that say drag is not a crime with a real photo of drag queens being arrested. And I've got these warning stickers that you can put in textbooks that are lacking queer history to warn future readers. Lots of other buttons and other stuff on Etsy too. There are links to everything in the episode notes here and at QueerSerial.com or just search for me on Instagram, Etsy, Patreon, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I think that's everything. While you're on QueerSerial.com, by the way, check out the new episode guide. You can explore the entire podcast series episode by episode with all the research and transcripts and bonus episodes and lots of photos and videos from the true history that I cover, all at QueerSerial.com. Finally, last thing, you don't have to, but if you'd like to, go ahead and catch up on all four seasons of Queer Serial and the bonus episodes before season five comes out this October, Queer History Month. The new season is a standalone story in our history and a spin-off of an event that I briefly touched on in Season 3, Episode 7, if you want a hint. Stay tuned. Thanks so much for all of your support. I literally couldn't do it without you. Enjoy the show. This podcast uses text from real homophile-era publications, letters, and organizational documents read by voice actors. The show has identifying terms that may now be out of date. The Ladder, February 1965. After the Ball by Kay Tobin. Dozens of police swarmed in and around the California Hall in San Francisco on New Year's Day, invading a benefit costume ball organized by the Council on Religion and the Homosexual. A lineup of police cars, one paddy wagon, plainclothes and uniformed officers, and police photographers greeted over 600 patrons of this supposedly gala event. 
attending the ball were prominent ministers in the San Francisco area, as well as many members of their congregations and members and friends of Bay Area homophile organizations. The Mardi Gras New Year's Ball was held to raise funds for the work of the Council on Religion and the Homosexual, a group formed to promote a continuing dialogue between the church and the homosexual. The council is comprised of representatives from six homophile organizations, Daughters of Belitis, Mattachine Society San Francisco, Tavern Guild, Society for the Individual Rights, the Coits, Straighten Associates, as well as ministers of the Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, and United Church of Christ faiths. Police dogged the assembly from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. in a blatant display of police power. Official police photographers snapped pictures of most of the 600 guests as they arrived. Arrested were three attorneys and a housewife who challenged inspectors from the sex crimes detail by insisting the police needed either a warrant or information that a crime was being committed in order to enter the hall. The four were charged with obstructing police officers. A clergyman was threatened with arrest while escorting two guests to their car. Two men attending the ball were arrested on charges of disorderly conduct, which brought to six the number of arrests. This flagrant harassment, surveillance, and show of force by police caused the ball to break up an hour early. Nevertheless, the guests tried to enjoy the festivities as planned. Del Martin, DOB treasurer, and a member of the council commented that, This is the type of police activity that homosexuals know well. But heretofore, the police had never played their hand before, Mr. Average Citizen. It was always the testimony of the police officer versus the homosexual. And the homosexual, fearing publicity and knowing the odds were against him, succumbed. But in this instance, the police overplayed their part. Miss Martin speculated that the police had arrested two of the ball guests on disorderly conduct in order to justify police invasion of a peaceful orderly gathering. As this issue of the latter goes to press, San Francisco's mayor John Shelley and police chief Thomas Kale still aren't talking. What next? According to a statement issued by the committee for the Mardi Gras ball, Police action in this affair will be contested in court to establish the right of homosexuals and all adults to assemble lawfully without invasion of privacy. January 2nd, 1965, the day after the raid, one of the arrested attorneys, Herb Donaldson, gets out of bed and goes outside for the morning paper. The other attorney, Evander Smith, goes for his paper too. Evander hasn't told his lover, Jim, about his arrest last night with Herb. He waits for Jim to finish his coffee. This is something you ought to know about. Evander slides the San Francisco Chronicle across the table. Cops invade homosexual benefit ball. The police moved in on a homosexual benefit ball. The affair was conducted by the Council for Religion and the Homosexual, which has been established by Episcopal, Methodist, Lutheran, and United Church of Christ leaders to try to integrate homosexuals into the Christian community. Herb Donaldson picks up his paper and reads the News Call Bulletin headline. Lawyers jailed at Costume Ball. Two attorneys and two participants were arrested Friday night at a Costume Ball, sponsored by the Council for Religion and the Homosexual. The attorneys, Evander Smith, 42, and Herbert Donaldson, 37, were arrested when they tried to prevent police inspectors Rudolph Nieto and Richard Castro from entering California Hall, 623 Polk Street. The San Francisco Examiner also announces their arrest to the city. Two lawyers arrested at fundraising party. 
The ministers, drag queens, and homophile leaders wake to find the story of last night's raid announced to their entire city on the front page of all three newspapers. Just after midnight, two men were arrested on charges of disorderly conduct. They were Conrad A. Osterreich, 28, an office manager of Los Angeles, and John Borsett, 35, a department store display man of 1370 Pine Street. Everyone in town is talking about the raid. Nancy May shows up to work, ready to be fired. Arrested on a charge of obstruction was Nancy May, 28, a claims adjuster for the Teamster Security Fund of 814 Steiner Street. Oh yes, home addresses. Nancy's only worked in this office since November, so firing seems likely. She sits down at her desk and starts working, waiting for it. It doesn't come. At a coffee break, a co-worker calls her over. I just want to ask you one thing. Here we go, Nancy thinks. Why do you think those ministers would want to associate with a bunch of queers? Betty, you're a religious woman, aren't you? Well, of course. Why would they want to associate with you? What could they possibly do for you? You're convinced that you're right all the time anyway. They're ministering to people who they think need to be ministered to, who have troubled lives and want to be saved. Now, I don't see any reason why any ministers would even want to say hello to you because you're obviously saved and you're so damn self-righteous, I can hardly believe that you can live with yourself. Betty never speaks to Nancy again. Nancy gets back to work, waiting to be fired, still. She decides to wait until the end of the week to ask around. Evander returns to his corporate legal work in his office. He's one of two attorneys for an insurance group, His work on gay cases with Herb has always been a secret. Today, no one, not even his secretary, will talk to him. He's given a formal letter asking him not to come back in until Friday. He picks up the phone. Reverend, I don't expect you to do anything or say anything, and I don't want you to think I'm using you in a bad sense. But Cecil, I'm using you for the same purpose that some people use a rubber. I'm just going to use you for show. Evander later said he really said that. Cecil Williams says, do you want me to pick you up or do you want to pick me up? Evander Smith and Cecil Williams arrive back in the office. Evander's co-workers are shocked that a black reverend in Roman garb came with Evander. Evander's friend, the company's other attorney, asks Evander why he needs this moral support. I'm fixing to get fired. That's what's going to happen, isn't it? Art says, yes. I'm going to have somebody in there with me. Well, it's not going to do you any good. Reverend, if he goes, I leave too. After he's fired, Evander goes to Herb's private office, and they form a new partnership, just the two of them. To begin, they'll sue the city and the county. Reverend Lewis. The council is calling a press conference. Incidents at a homosexual benefit. Angry ministers rip police. This headline is printed below a large photo of the seven ministers side by side, standing with their arms crossed. They look out to the reporters. Cecil Williams, Chuck Lewis, and Ted Mickelvena speak to the press at Glide Memorial Church. Ministers of four Protestant denominations accused the police department yesterday of intimidation, broken promises, and obvious hostility. They charged they, too, had been harassed by police officials and questioned at length about their theological concepts. They looked at the rings on our fingers and said, We see you're married. How do your wives accept this? 
They told us, said the Reverend Mr. Mickelvena, that they thought we were being used by various homosexual organizations in this city. They said the benefit had been planned after extended, strained negotiations with top police officials. But, they charged, the police acted in bad faith, for example, by having a police photographer snap pictures of most of the arriving guests when they had promised not to. Commented the Reverend Mr. Mickelvena, It was a very well-run ball. After the police forced their way in, it took them more than an hour to find anything wrong. The newspapers completely trust the men, simply because they're ministers. And citizens of San Francisco pretty much completely trust the reporters simply because they're the newspapers. And so the city is on the side of the homosexuals. Uproar over dance. Letters to the editor run about 12 to 1 in favor of homosexuals. The cops are openly criticized citywide. And pretty soon, Herb and Evander get their own attorneys. ACLU joins homosexual dance case. Arrested lawyers to fight. Protest police action at ball. Cops sued as party crashers. One million dollar suit over homosexual raid. Police draw ACLU fire in homosexual war. As the case prepares for trial, the homophile publications spread the word to their community. After the ball was over, what really happened? Police hauled folks in at the Tablish Inn, but we had 500 or 600 at California Hall. Vector announces... Remember, January 1st. The Citizens News reports the full story, encourages homosexuals to attend the upcoming trial, and prints Reverend Chuck Lewis's photos taken at the ball. Check them out on my Instagram at Queer Serial. The news spreads across the country in national papers, a ministry organization created to help homosexuals. Harper's, Look, and Christianity Today cover the council. Nancy May and other leaders are interviewed for the BBC in England. And still, Nancy hasn't been fired. She continues to wait to ask around about it, now until the end of the month. After several more weeks, almost two months since the ball, and dozens of news stories printing her name, Nancy can't wait any longer. She stays late after work one night and asks the personnel manager who hired her if she's going to be fired. No. It was touch and go for a while. We had a meeting about you. I told them that what you do from 9 to 5 is our business. What you do from 5 to 9 is your business. But I wonder if I could ask you one favor. Yes? Please try to keep the company's name out of the paper. We get in enough trouble on our own. Okay, we'll be right back following this message. Last week on my Patreon, we dove into some 1964 gay coloring books. You won't see much of them on my Instagram. Those prudes can't handle it. You'll have to see it on Patreon. This week on my Patreon, we're going back into the archives with another Randy Wicker interview on WBAI. This time, it's 1965, and Randy is interviewing author, journalist, and beat poet Lawrence Lipton. Wicker and Lipton are a great pair. As you recently heard, this is about the time Wicker is involved in the League for Sexual Freedom, and Lipton has just published his book, The Erotic Revolution. 
Uh, what type of problems have you had with your book, The Erotic Revolution? Have you been banned in various towns I've and harassed? I've had kind of, uh, every kind of harassment that you can imagine. I've been banned in every way that you can imagine. How, how about uh, distribution? Have you had problems with having book dealers handle your book and what have you? They're scared to death of it. But they didn't want anybody under 21 to be seen handling the book because Santa Monica is practically occupied territory. The butchers run it. This conversation really reminds you how obsessively anti-sex America was at this time. They get into all sorts of sexual taboos and the movement for accepting things like premarital sex, open relationships, interracial relationships, homosexuality, and of course, they criticize the police. They, this entrapment goes on all the time. They don't even need to use entrapment. All it needs is for a Santa Monica cop to go into a bookstore and look disapprovingly at a book. And the book dealer, unless he is, well, very brave, you know, well, this uh, happened. Will, will just simply take it out of stock. I, I worked in publishing, putting out the tit magazines, and the one thing we couldn't write about was police brutality. We could never run a critical or even an objective article of the police department because a wave of a finger of a policeman could just ruin your distribution, just a, a look like you say, a look of You can subscribe to the bonus podcast at patreon.com slash queer serial. It's $3 a month, including deeper dives into photos and archival research for queer serial, bonus episodes from all three seasons, plus the infamous crimes Boise Sex Panic series, and even more fun stuff like mugs, cute buttons, and Helen Branson's book Gay Bar, published by The Mattachine. All this to support production of the podcast and some upcoming projects. There's a link to Patreon in my episode notes. A full week's trial follows for the two gay men, Conrad and John, arrested for lewd and lascivious conduct. The details of their arrest remain foggy. The police say they were being intimate at the ball, probably dancing. The story they tell in court is that they weren't dancing. They were on a chair, putting up decorations, and the police saw them touch, and then they made their arrest. The rumor going around between folks who were there at the ball is that Conrad and John were dancing, but are telling this version of the story in court as advised by their attorneys, Herb and Evander. Because even if they were dancing, the cops shouldn't have been making arrests. It's not illegal for homosexuals to gather in private spaces. That right has been earned. Here's season two. No matter what actually happened, the story of standing on the chair and hanging decorations is the story told in court. Conrad and John are still convicted as guilty. The judge says, They've suffered enough. Find them each $25. It's a light punishment, but their convictions do remain on their records. When the CIA sees the conviction records, they check in on one of the men at work, and he's fired for the moral turpitude on his record. But at his next job, when they see the firing in his paperwork, they ask what it's all about, and he just says, The California Hall raid. They say, Oh, that's fine. By then, the case has become famous as yet another instance of police so obviously wielding their power nonsensically. And the story really grabs the public's attention come next month, February 1965. The trial of Herb Donaldson, Evander Smith, and Nancy May is mostly symbolic. 
it's a misdemeanor charge. But Herb and Evander still list about 25 prominent criminal lawyers as their counsel. Every day, the courthouse fills with homosexuals in the audience. Ministers and their wives sit in the front rows, dressed in their collars, church robes, and all their Sunday best. Everyone wants to know if the judge and the jury will approve of the cop's behavior at the ball. Witness breaks up a courtroom. Inspector Rudy Nieto of the police sex detail got a big laugh yesterday at the trial of three lawyers and a ticket taker who are charged with interfering with police at a January 1st homosexual benefit ball. He said 14 officers, one policeman and two police photographers, accompanied him to the scene of the ball at California Hall, Polk Street, and Golden Gate. Curious, municipal judge Leo Friedman asked why it took so many. We went, said the officers, just to inspect the premises. The audience, including half a dozen ministers and their wives from the Council for Religion and the Homosexual, which sponsored the ball, thought that was hilarious. Nieto denied that police went to the ball to harass homosexuals, but dropped one other mysterious comment. Asked why police photographers took pictures of the arriving guests, Nieto said the department wanted pictures of these people because some of them might be connected to national security. Defense attorney Marshall Krauss of the American Civil Liberties Union did not pursue the point. The judge says, Did you ask for people's permission before you took their picture? Well, no. Do you mean to tell me that you went there with 13 policemen and two cameramen and did not intend to make an arrest? No, sir. We were there for investigation and observation. Nieto then defends his arrest of Nancy May, explaining that she kept him from entering by beating on his chest. The judge requests the officer Nieto to come stand before the court. Towering 6-4 in front of the large audience and the jury, the judge calls for Nancy May to join him. Nancy, 5-2, walks toward the officer and the audience bursts into laughter again. The following day, the fourth day, the state presents its case. Your decision today will affect how these people will be perceived for some time to come. The DA warns the jury that if they let these attorneys and ministers off the hook, homosexuals might become well-liked. He cross-examines Officer Nieto, who mentions that each cop was carrying 50 identification cards at the ball, which are used when making arrests. The judge stops the cross-examination. Why did you need 50 arrest cards? What were you expecting? Nieto is caught. He had testified that they came to the ball for inspections. Not arrests. Complaining officers sat with mouths agape as Judge Friedman halted the trial at conclusion of the state's case and snapped, It's useless to waste everybody's time following this to its finale. You can't charge people with one thing and prove another. Go and deliberate and bring back a verdict of not guilty. You don't have to follow my instructions, but if you find them guilty, I will set aside your verdict and dismiss the case. The jury leaves to deliberate. 20 minutes later, they return. What took you so long? It took us 20 minutes to choose a foreman. (laughs) Court orders jury to free four in trial. Homosexual dance trial halted on technicality. The New Year's function was sponsored by the Council for Religion and the Homosexual. Vector announces to the gay community, Mardi Gras ball attorneys acquitted. In a private meeting, Reverend Mickelvena agrees with the police force that he and the homophile organizations will drop the million-dollar suit against the police as long as this battle is over. If there's any more violence or harassment, you understand that we will come back. Organizations who sponsor the Council on Religion and the Homosexual 
watch their membership numbers steadily rise. Over the past two months, their names have been all over local, national, and even some international news. SIR's membership, in particular, spikes from 300 to about 1,000, far more than any other homophile group will ever reach, and thousands more will join over the next couple of years. SIR's upcoming dances have lines all the way down the street. The new mayor, John Shelley, publicly holds Police Chief John Cahill responsible for the raid. The police release a statement which notes that there are about 70,000 homosexuals in the city of San Francisco. They're intending to scare people, and the story is picked up on the wire and spreads across the country. People everywhere hear the news of the city of homosexuals, and more gay migrants pack up for San Francisco. Under Mayor Shelley, a gay flower power 60s is allowed to thrive. After the Wolden for Mayor scandal, the Valerga decision, the Gayola scandal, Jose Saria's run for supervisor, the Tay Bush raid, the rejected, and the raid on a gala of ministers and their gay friends, San Francisco is closer to liberation than any other city in the nation. These battles were fought through combined efforts of lesbians, gay men, bisexual and transgender people together in the bars, ballrooms, parks, police stations, television stations, courtrooms, and streets of San Francisco. The city knows queer people exist undeniably. They cannot be missed anymore because they have consistently made themselves known. With nothing to hide now, gay events begin to thrive throughout the town again. With the public awareness of the Council on Religion and the Homosexual and all its new powerful influence, Dell and Phyllis, former leaders of the Daughters of Belitis, are energized to start their next chapter with CRH. Glide Memorial gives CRH an office. Phyllis Lyon goes to work there as vice president of the council. Sometimes clergymen visit the office and whisper to her, we understand you have a real homosexual working here. Can we see her? Del Martin jokes, We have to get you a sign for your desk that says resident lesbian. Dell and Phyllis create Citizens Alert, a hotline for people to report police abuse in San Francisco. Dell and Phil at the CRH devote their time to helping people experiencing homelessness, gays discharged from the military, and people we will come to understand as transgender. The CRH continues to fight police harassment and employment discrimination. Reverend Ted Mickelvena is nicknamed the Gay Priest of Fairyland. And by next year's ball, the police will call the Tavern Guild ahead of the ball and ask how many officers they'd like to have for security, and should they close off the block for the ball? As a courtesy this time, not a threat. The police also appoint a liaison to the gay community. Of course, at this time, the term gay includes transgender people. By appointing a liaison, the city recognizes that there is a gay community and the city should be at their service. Their liaison is an officer named Elliot Blackstone. He works closely with the Mattachine, DOB, and the CRH. Blackstone teaches community policing courses. He works inside the police department to change policies against queer people. And he leads sensitivity training for every San Francisco Police Academy class. Blackstone even takes up collections at his church to pay for the hormones of trans people who are denied them at the city's clinics. 
The Council for Religion and the Homosexual starts events for gays and lesbians to ask political candidates questions about gay issues, while letters come through constantly for Elliot Blackstone. Letters from genderqueer people all over the city looking for help, and he's eager to give it. Blackstone will soon be traveling the country to speak at police professional development conferences to explain to other police officers the horrible ways trans people are treated by the cops and how to change this. Now, I'm sure you're aware this is not a pro-cop podcast at all. Blackstone was the exception to the rule, so much so that his fellow officers will later raid his office at the National Transsexual Counseling Unit and plant marijuana in his desk in order to frame him on drug charges. Elliot Blackstone will lose his job in that office and be sent to work foot patrol for the SFPD until his retirement. That whole program with Officer Blackstone was funded by a very generous, wealthy, transgender man with a pet leopard whose many new investments in the mid-60s queer community will soon radically change the movement. But one of this wealthy man's investments in Los Angeles is about to be boxed up and hauled away. One magazine, the first successful homophile publication in America, sits quietly in its mid-city office on Easter morning, 1965. A key is turned in the front door, and a team enters to raid the place. Hundreds of books and even furniture from the one incorporated library are quickly stuffed into a moving truck and sent staggering up Coenga Boulevard. One magazine's office is taken in a heist. Next week, on episode four, The Style of Tomorrow. Herb Donaldson will become the first openly gay municipal court judge in California, sworn in 18 years to the day of his California hall arrest. You can listen to Herb Donaldson and Evander Smith chat with Eric Marcus on his podcast, Making Gay History. There's a link to that in the episode notes here. Ted and Winnie Mickelvena went on to found the Institute for Advanced Study of Human Sexuality, studying sexology. The institute would be nicknamed by critics as Fuck You, you as in university. Fuck you. It existed until 2018. Also, if you're interested in learning more about Officer Elliot Blackstone, a rare, decent cop, check out my bonus episode right here on the free feed last season called Transsexuals and the Police. It's a fascinating conversation between Blackstone and transgender members of a San Francisco organization called COG. There's a link to that in the episode notes as well. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying Queer Serial, please give me a quick little five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps the podcast reach new listeners who are looking to learn about queer history. You can even write a little review if you'd like. I'd really appreciate it. Follow the show at Queer Serial on Instagram to see the real events and real people from every episode. The California Hall raid photos in particular are spectacular. Also, thanks to everyone who has donated to support production of the podcast and upcoming projects in the future. If you want to support the show, join my Patreon at patreon.com slash queercereal for lots of bonus content, or head over to queercereal.com slash donate. Also, a huge thank you to the One Archives, the GLBT Historical Society, and the Gerber Hart Library and Archives. 
Many of the details from the California Hall raid come from the fabulous documentary Lewd and Lascivious by Jalen Ricks. There's a link to that in the episode notes to watch the entire thing. That scene where Nancy snaps on her coworker, like everything else voice actors say on the podcast, was very real, and you can hear all about it from the real Nancy May in that documentary. Check it out, and you can check out more resources at QueerSerial.com. Teachers, teachers of any kind, feel free to DM me on any social media or email me at QueerSerial at gmail.com if you would like transcripts of the episodes. All right, voice actors. Kay Lehusen was performed by Katie Spleet. Del Martin by Salvio Gatto. What a star. Ted Mickelvina, as usual, was me. Lawyers, Herb Donaldson by Keith Green. And Evander Smith by Matthew Ellenwood. Chronicle reporter by the fantastic Tina Munoz Pandaya. She nailed so many parts this season in one take. She's amazing. News call bulletin reporter by my dear friend Connor Good. Ask him if he knows anything about Chicago queer history. I bet he knows a thing or two. Examiner reporter by Dan Unser, a queen. Betty was performed by Maggie Smith. Nancy May's final appearance by Courtney Tesh. Great monologue performance. And you're so damned self-righteous, I can hardly believe that you can live with yourself. Hal Call by Dominic Caruso. Don, Nancy's co-worker, by Mike Lysak. Judge by Steve Camp. Great voice. Officer Rudy Nieto's final appearance, thankfully, was performed by John Roth. Judge Friedman by Garrett Williams. District Attorney by Evan Kepnick. And Jury Foreman by Mike Kanish. The fabulous podcast art is by Ryan Teal. Some of the music you'll hear this season is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0, but most of the music is from Blue Dot Sessions. The original Mattachine Society Jester logo is used courtesy of One Archives at USC Libraries. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Devlin Camp. See you next week. My, 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 we are really just getting started this season. Bye.